turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, we're going to be reading verses 13 through 17. Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Thus sends our reading of God's inerrant word. May all who hear it find their righteousness fulfilled by Christ. Have you ever wondered why Jesus needed to be baptized? When I was young in the faith, I often pondered over this. For it always seemed to me that baptism was for those who were dirty. I mean, that's what baptism is all about. Am I right? The cleansing of sins. After all, what, what was John's message? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And John even said, I baptize you with water for repentance. So why did Jesus need to be baptized? If Jesus was sinless, then there was no need for repentance. Plus, he didn't need to worry about that coming of the kingdom, that, that reign from heaven that was near. After all, he is the king. He would be the one to judge everyone else. So what is going on? What is this, what is this story all about? Let's dig a little deeper, take a closer look and see what Matthew is describing here. Look at verses 13 and 14. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Now here's a man with some common sense. And John the Baptist, he, he agrees with my younger self that, you know, why should Jesus be baptized? And, and, and just as John turned away the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees due to their unrepentant hearts, here we see the opposite problem. John viewed Jesus as his moral superior. Knowing his, his own sin, he felt that, that righteous Jesus should be the one baptizing him. I used to play basketball in high school. I was what you would term a, a bench warmer. It's not that I wasn't any good at the game. I, there was just other players that were better than myself. 
Now imagine if one day at practice, Michael Jordan showed up at our gym. And he came to me and he asked, Corey, would you teach me how to play this game? <laughs> it's absurd, isn't it? I mean, I mean I, I, my response would be like John the Baptist. It's like, why, why are you coming to me? I, I need to be the one that, that is taught by you. And this is how John was thinking. He, he knew of Jesus and of, and of his life, ne never seeing a hint of sin. It should have been Jesus who was baptizing him. But Jesus had other plans. Look at verse 15. Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. This is now my eighth sermon in the book of Matthew. And these are the, the very first words that we hear from our Lord. Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. R.C. Sproul said of this verse that there is no more important text in the New Testament that defines the work of Jesus than this one. I think Sproul was right. Jesus was sent to this earth to fulfill all righteousness. That, that means that, that he was to obey all of God's law. Every aspect. In other words, he came to fulfill all of God's requirements on behalf of his people. As Christians, we, we tend to focus heavily on the cross, and, and rightly so. However, Christ's work on this earth was not limited to his death. In fact, there are, there are two aspects of Jesus' redemptive work. Theologians label them as Christ's active and passive obedience. Passively, Jesus bore the punishment for our sin. So when we, when we see him dying on the cross, he was submitting to the wrath of God on our behalf. Jesus died so that you could be innocent or guiltless before God. However, that, his death does not mean that you can be declared righteous. If that were the case, Jesus would not have had to have been born as an infant. No. Instead, he could have just shown up one day as a, as a full-grown man, nailed himself to the cross, and been done with it. But Jesus' death was not enough. In order for those who, who believe in him to be declared as righteous, Jesus had to actively obey the law of God perfectly. This is what we term as Christ's active obedience. In other words, in, in Jesus' passive obedience, he took upon himself the, the, the curse of God's judgment. He paid the penalty for the disobedience that all of us have committed to God's holy decrees. And in Jesus' active obedience, 
He has a whole life in submission to God's law, which qualifies him to be that spotless lamb. He is seen as faultless, for he has fulfilled all righteousness. So when we get to the cross, we have what, what is known as double imputation. In essence, the, the, the sin of a believer is placed upon Jesus, which makes, him innocent, which makes one innocent. This is his passive obedience. And in his active obedience, Christ's faithfulness to the law of God is placed upon the sinner, which makes one righteous. Are you tracking? In other words, it, it wasn't enough for Jesus to just die for you. He needed to live a perfect life for you as well. He took upon the curse that comes from disobeying God's law, and you who believe take upon the blessing that comes from obeying God's law. And this is what Jesus meant when he said to John the Baptist, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus allowed himself to be baptized by John in order to identify with the sinner and to provide them with his perfect righteousness. Just as a sinner needs to be cleansed from their sins, Jesus took upon the sins that he did not commit and drowned them in the baptismal waters. And so John consented, and we see Jesus being baptized in our next verse, verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. The heavens opening up brings to mind former encounters that God's people have had with their Lord, such as Ezekiel, when he was called to be a prophet. Ezekiel 1 verse 1 says this, In the thirtieth year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the Kabar River, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. Here, Ezekiel receives his calling to be a prophet. And now in, in our story, we, we see the calling of a different sort. One who is greater than Ezekiel. One who brings the kingdom of heaven to the hearts of men. And just as Ezekiel saw visions of God, God can be plainly seen once again in the form of a dove Heaven had opened up, and the image of the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters and descending like a dove. Again, Matthew hearkens us backwards to, to the very beginning, to the imagery we find in, in Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering 
over the waters. Here we see the creation of the world. Everything is still in chaos and has yet to take form. And it was the Holy Spirit who fluttered over the waters like a bird, ready to give it shape and to breathe life into this new creation. And in our account for today, we see that same Spirit descending over the waters in the form of a dove and lighting upon Jesus. A new creation had arrived. This kingdom from heaven that John, John had claimed was near was now bursting forth, and its king had been anointed from above. Our first scripture reading from today, Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 5, say this, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of power, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth, he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Christ had now begun his campaign. The Spirit of the Lord had rested upon him, and he was bringing forth his rule. In all righteousness. But there's more. Look at our last verse. Verse 17. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now, I'd be remiss as a pastor if I did not point out the fact that what we just read gives testimony to the triune God. In just two verses, we see the Son being baptized, the Spirit descending upon the Son, and the voice of the Father sounding from heaven. Each of them fully God, and each of them distinct from one another. This is the God we serve, one God in three persons. And it is a father who affirms his son. Breaking, breaking the silence, the, the long silence, the father speaks. As if sounding the alarm, he declares the dawn of the messianic age, the inauguration of the rule from heaven. The kingdom had come, and it would, be, it would be the Son, His Son, who would rule this righteous one, whom He loved and in whom He was well pleased. Look at Psalm 2, verses 7 through 9. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my Son. Today I have become your Father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, 
the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. From both Isaiah and from from this psalm, we, we see the declaration of the coming king. A king of great power. A king of great wisdom. A king who rules with an iron scepter. A king who judges with righteousness. What we see in Jesus' baptism is the inauguration of a divine ruler. The heavens break forth for him. The Spirit descends upon him. The holy voice of the Father rings out for him, declaring him to be worthy. But here's the amazing thing about it all. In what is supposed to be an act of humbleness, in this baptism with water for repentance, we get a glimpse of the splendor of our Lord. We see the inauguration of our King. Glory in humility. Dear friends, there are, there are three remarkable truths that I, that I want you to grab onto from this passage. The first is this. By declaring Jesus as the Son of God, the, the Father is announcing that this Messiah is God. Jesus is more than just a man. He is more than just a good teacher or a prophet. He, he is more than just a king. He is God the Son. And he needed to be. Jesus had to be God in order to fulfill all righteousness. For if he was just a man, he would have been born of Adam and born into sin. This is why the virgin birth is vital to Christ's identity. For Jesus could not be born into the curse if he wanted to fulfill all righteousness. And yet, he was born of a woman. Though he was fully God, he was also fully man. And this brings us to, to truth number two. In order to fulfill all righteousness, Jesus had to identify with you as the bearer of your transgressions. Even though he is God and he is sinless, he is also human. Therefore, he represents man. And he represented man as he went into the baptismal waters for the repentance of sins. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Brothers, sisters, there is no one who is good enough. There is, there is no one who can stand before God. You can't say to him, but I served the poor. I fed the hungry. I gave to the needy. I loved my wife. I gave my kids a good life. I looked after my mom and my dad as they were getting old and feeble. Listen, 
As good as those things are, none of those things can make you worthy. Only by putting on the righteousness of Christ will you be able to please God. For only He can fulfill all righteousness. And finally, there is a third remarkable truth. It is in your baptism that you are united with Christ in both his death and his resurrection. Romans 6, verses 3 and 4. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. What it all boils down to is this. God became a man in order to live the righteous life that you could not. And if you repent of your sins and trust in this Jesus and the shedding of his blood for the forgiveness of your sins and in, in his resurrection from the dead, then he will take upon your sins. And his righteousness, that perfect life that he lived, will be imparted to you. Not only will you be seen as guiltless, but you'll be seen as righteous as well. This is who your king is. This is Jesus. He is the one who fulfills all righteousness. And he does so for you. Turn from your sins and trust in him. He is your righteousness. Let us pray. Father, we are, we are so grateful for the life of your son. Not only did he die for us, but he, he lived perf in perfect obedience. Obedience to your will. He did that for us. So that he could give to us freely his righteousness. Help us. Help us to repent of our sins. Help us to trust in him. May your Holy Spirit dwell in us richly, giving us the faith to believe this message. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.